Welcome to Grace Covenant Church, D.C. You're listening to our weekly sermon podcast. We hope that you enjoy this message. This month, our focus and emphasis in terms of our sermon series has been praying. Uh, We prayed and fasted together for a week as a church. Tremendous moment. Thank you to all of you who were on those prayer calls and coming to the prayer meetings. And then we extended another week of prayer. We've been speaking with our prayer team leader saying we're going to pray and fast throughout the year, at least quarterly, and have these significant moments because we're called to be those who are in relationship with Jesus. So in keeping with our series uh, today, really two words, pray steady, pray steady. Pray continually. Pray steady to stay ready. Pray steady to stay ready. Andy Minio's a well-known rapper. He said, if you stay ready, you ain't got to get ready. We want to pray steady so we can stay ready. And so I want to begin with um, uh, a phrase that's in the Bible. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9. It's in the letter to the believers, disciples, followers of Jesus found in Corinth at that time. And Paul says this, the writer of that letter to them. He says, a wide door for effective service has opened for me, but there are many who oppose me. What's he saying? There's this wide door that God has opened, a great door for effective service, effective work, yet there are many who oppose me. In other words, in the moment of this great opportunity, simultaneously, there's also great opposition. And this is true in all of life. No one's going to win the Super Bowl without a fight. Wherever there's opportunity, there's also opposition. That's not just something that is relegated to athletics or any other kind of activity. It is really part of what it means to walk in relationship with God. Paul says that. And I want to take you back to something that was said in a moment when we were all together on a Sunday with Pastor Jim LaFoon. Pastor Jim LaFoon is one of the prophetic leaders in our family, every nation around the world. And he's really um, just a tremendous leader. And on a Sunday morning, he was preaching to us And he began to speak to us prophetically, meaning he began to express things that were impressed on his heart and mind from God that were uniquely and specifically for Grace Covenant Church. It was as if God was giving us a heads up about what's about to unfold. How many like a heads up? Well, I wish I'd listened very carefully to the entire message, but I focused on part of it to the neglect of the other part. He he said in this moment, some of you remember, he says, God's going to do something very significant with this church in three years from this moment. That was in 2017 and or 2016. And uh, he looked over and said, what happens for you all in three years? And we said, it's our 20th anniversary. Like we were excited. And he said, God's going to do something very significant. He's going to do something that's going to be enormous. And we were all excited about that. And in the very next breath, he says, there's going to be a storm before that occurs. I listened to the excitement, the what's coming. I didn't listen to the storm part. I wish I had listened because we would have went out and got umbrellas. Um, He said, it'll be the kind of storm that you will not be able to row through, but the kind of storm that Jesus himself would walk on the water. And there was a reference to that moment when Jesus sent his disciples to the other side of the lake and they were straining at the oars and they couldn't do it. And Jesus comes walking on the water. 
they were so gripped with fear that they thought it was a ghost of some kind, some apparition. And Jesus says aloud, take courage, don't be afraid, it's me. And he enters the boat with them and then they arrive at the other side. And so I just thought about what happened for us. Prophetically, when Pastor Jim spoke about something significant taking place in three years, one of those things, not the least of which, is that we acquired property, physical space in D.C. for the first time in 20 years. 20 years. We've been moving from place to place to place, from the YMCA to elementary schools to hotel to places where when you worship, you can touch the ceiling. We have been everywhere in 20 years. And last year at our 20th anniversary, we were able to announce we actually have a contract to purchase property and we closed on October 3rd last year. It's great. And it's not just about the physical building because it's really about God's faithfulness that encourages that he said something and he did it. And that fills you with great confidence and trust to walk with him going forward. Now, at the same time, we also experienced a storm, not the least of which we had to move out of the movie theater because they installed recliner chairs and it reduced the 300-seat auditorium to like, oh, a hundred and so many chairs. And we moved across the street to this wonderful facility and it was like, great. And a month later, they said, you got to get out. And then we moved across here and we had people leaving the church and frustrations and all kinds. Was any, did anybody live through that storm? Yeah, and I'm thinking, God, help us. But this is what Paul is saying. A wide door for effective service has opened up to me, but there are many who oppose me. Paul's saying, at the moment I step through this door of opportunity, I'm also mindful of the opposition that's present. If you only see the opportunity and don't see the opposition, you'll be caught off guard and you'll find yourself in some storm unprepared personally, corporately. And some of us have walked through things emotionally, financially, socially. You've wondered, should I be a part of this church and what's happening with this? And I'm mad at this leader and I'm mad at this. And God's saying, listen, don't lose sight of the opportunity because you weren't praying to be steady in the opposition. And Paul is just one example of how this thing really works. If you will, open your Bibles and let's look together of what Jesus has to say about this himself. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, here's another building. So there's the building that's on 3100 18th Street Northeast where we will meet for our first service at 9 and then our second service at 11 on February 9th. So February 9th, do not come to the Westin. They will check you in and ask you if you need a room, but we won't be here. We'll be at the new location. So here's what Jesus says in Matthew 16, 18. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates, the opposing gates of Hades, will not overcome it. Here's Jesus juxtaposing the very same thing we hear in Paul. What's the opportunity? I will build my church. I want you to know that to this very day, God himself is still building his church. The very thing of which by his grace and mercy, we are privileged to be a part, to be called sons and daughters in the family of God. He didn't find us in his house. He found us lost, stolen, and dead. And he made us alive, found us, and brought us back and put us in his house. That's good news. Now, I want you to hear something about how this works. Listen to this in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 through 19. This is Jesus speaking, 
in a public meeting, much like this. He was in a synagogue, and he had simply returned. It wasn't simple. He had been fasting and praying for 40 days and 40 nights, living on the Word of God. He had no food. He had only water. I want you to know something. Living on the Word of God. There's something supernatural that happens. Our praying and fasting moments are not just a moment to go without food. We're saying, God, we are most hungry and most thirsty for you. And so we turned on our plate, recognizing our need that if you don't supply, we can't, we can't continue to be who we're supposed to be. And there's something about that moment of praying and fasting where literally the word of God, I don't understand how this works, but it becomes life to you. It becomes strength to you. Encouragement flows into your soul. Joy overtakes you. You find yourself free from all the things that normally weigh you down and God at work in your heart. And so here's what happens when he says this. He comes back full of the Holy Spirit, full of power, and he stands up. He's given a scroll from Isaiah, and he reads this passage from Isaiah 61, but it's recorded here in Luke 4, 8, because as Jesus read it, it's a self-reference. Many people have read this. Many people preach from it. He's the only person who, when he reads it, it's a reference to himself. He says this, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So what's he doing here? He is testifying that today in your hearing and in your seeing, these words are fulfilled. I'm the promised one, Jesus himself, who's come. The Spirit of the Lord is on him and has anointed him to proclaim freedom to those who are captives. Say, I'm ready. ready. I was reading this, and I looked at it together, and here's what he says when you put those two scriptures and look at them together in context. He says, I will build my church. That's the opportunity. And the gates of hell or the gates of Hades, that's the opposition, will not overcome the church I am building. Now, he talks about preaching and proclaiming freedom to captives. The word captive may not be a word we use every day. In our culture and context, we're familiar with the word arrest. We know what it is to see someone, hopefully not ourselves, be arrested. And how debilitating and limiting that is. Now, I want you to understand that what he's saying is, the opportunity of building his church... That is what Jesus is presently engaged in doing right now all over the world, including the Washington, D.C. area. And as this wide open door that he steps through to build his church, he's met with opposition. He calls it the gates of hell. Now, when he says gates, he's not speaking geographically as if there's some place in Washington, D.C. where you go, oh, that's hell right there. That's not what he's saying. Gates, first of all, are not engaged in a battle. Gates are the things you pass through because of what's on the other side. When you hear it in that context, what he's saying is, I will build my church. And the church is not a physical building like the one we just purchased. But the church are those stones that have been dead, lost, stolen. That he breaks through the gates in our lives. Where hell has arrested us with despair, arrested us with anger, arrested us with fear. I I need to read it the way I wrote it because I don't want to miss all the things because I think it might be someone in here who could say I can identify. 
People have been arrested by the influence of hell in the following ways. Just affirm if you know something of this. Arrested by fear of. You can fill in the bank. Fear of man. Fear of failure. Fear even of success. Fear of opening your mouth. Fear of not opening your mouth. Fear of closing your mouth. Has fear ever arrested you in some form or another? Fear of. Shame of. The enemy uses shame to arrest you. Anybody ever experienced shame? Chronic sickness and illness. Business failure. Chronic alienation. Loneliness. Fatigue. Anxiety. Busyness. The inability to sit still and stop thinking and just rest. The enemy will use busyness to keep you distracted all the days of your life. He will use depression, arrested by lack, arrested by, here's a big one, arrested by accusation. Have you ever been arrested by accusation against yourself? Where you start accusing yourself and you don't even realize it's not you. It's the voice of the enemy that's putting a gate around you that you go through in your thoughts. Even if you never say it out loud, you feel self-accused. It's not you. God doesn't accuse you. Why should you accuse yourself? It's the voice of the enemy who when something happens, go, see there, look at you. That's not your voice. Don't say you're stupid. You're repeating what the enemy is saying about you. Why agree with him? Why not agree with God? Because God didn't make anything stupid. Mm. Somebody's going to have the cuffs break off today. Free from, arrested by accusation, arrested by unbelief, arrested by deception, which leads to all these addictions. Addicted to chaos. Some of us know what it is to never have order in your life. Just addicted to chaos, addicted to gambling, alcohol, pornography, unable to let go because it won't let you go. So here comes Jesus. Mm -mm 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 -mm. Love this. The spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom. How does freedom come? He actually proclaims freedom over your life. His words enter you and make you free. Here's the picture in my mind. Maybe you'll get it. Jesus is the builder of his church. Read one more verse and give you the picture so it's complete. I don't want you to miss any part of it. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. Paul writes this to the church in Ephesus. By the way, side note, that wide open door that Paul walked through, the opposition was real. The the, the opportunity was so massive. He comes into Ephesus, he meets 12 people. He begins to speak to them about Christ. They were like, He's like, have you ever heard of the Holy Baptist? Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? They said, we never even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. You never heard the Holy Spirit. Then what were you baptized into? We were baptized into John the Baptist's baptism. He says, well, John was preaching about Christ coming. You need to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is the one who baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so they be, Jesus became Lord of their life. They all got baptized in the Holy Spirit. They started praying in the Spirit. That 12 then led to him preaching in the synagogue every day for three months. And then after three months, he opened up a school, the school of Tyrannus, and for two years every day preached the gospel until the gospel influenced the entire region of Asia. It says that all of Asia heard the gospel and knew about Christ. What would it look like for a wide open door that Grace Covenant Church is part of preaching the gospel and speaking about Jesus until all of the D.C., Washington, Maryland, and Virginia has heard of Jesus and comes to recognize him as Lord. 
people in Paul's day started repenting. Their lives were being transformed. And they began to serve the purpose for which they were born. In fact, one day, because of idol, idolatry and false worship, people had all these things that um, metal workers had produced. And they had these idols in the whole temple of Artemis. We could break that down later. But they came and actually burned scrolls and turned in all their stuff. It was to the tune of $5.5 million. Now, that's real change. Could you imagine if all the business people in D.C. repented of their, 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 I need to say this, their business people who love God and they are in business because God told them to do it and they serve with the highest integrity and they're using it to advance the, the kingdom. Now, that's not every business in D.C. There are business leaders in D.C. who need to repent. And they when the CEO of a company does wrong, its influence is massive. There's a restaurant in our neighborhood. I'm not going to mention it. I was talking. We, we took some friends to a basketball game, and after we were having lunch, and we're like, that was one of our favorite restaurants we like to go to. It shut down. And they said that the owner of it was brought up on charges and all these legal things, court battles. He had to shut down every single restaurant because of his, we'll call it, inappropriate behavior, sexual indiscretions, which led in lawsuits, and all those restaurants are gone. What if somebody who was close to that man had sat down with him and said, has anybody ever taken you through the one-to-one? Has anybody ever talked to you about your life and your struggle? Has anybody, could somebody get into his life and say, listen, there's something that's not right in your life, and God is coming here to set you free. Wouldn't that have been amazing? But all that loss and all that damage and all that shrapnel, people's lives messed up. And Christians involved in all that stuff too. So what happens when there's a shift that happens in the business and you and anybody? Amen? So Paul is experiencing all this, but then he gets opposition while he's building because the enemy never gives up anything without a fight. The gate is to keep believers to try to keep God out because he wants us to stay arrested and captive and the city. So we got to be free so that we can introduce the city to the freedom that we're walking in. All right, here's the verse, Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners or strangers. That's where God found us. But fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Do you see this? He himself is the chief cornerstone in the building that he's building. He's both builder and part of the building. In him, the whole building is joined together. Anybody a part of this building? And rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Verse 22. And in him, we too are built, being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Isn't that good? All right. Go back to the picture. Jesus comes. He says, I will build my church. And the gates of hell, the opposition, will not be able to overcome it. Will not prove strong enough to stop. It says, as Jesus has come to earth with all authority, he said, has been given to me. And he goes to, he's building his church. He himself is the chief cornerstone. And he finds these broken, messed up rocks. I'm one of them. 
And he goes out into desert dry places where we've been arrested and where you've been arrested by despair, arrested by pornography, arrested by whatever. He go finds this lost, stolen, dead rock and he finds you, breathes life on you, brings you back to life, rescues you from the gates that the enemies have held you bound and brings you back to himself and then builds you right into himself called the church. I wish I had all the visuals for you to see it. I don't, it's in technicolor. I just see Jesus walking like this. I want all those rocks. And there are rocks, boulders scattered everywhere in different sizes and different colors, different ethnicities. And he's going to have this multicolored. His house is not like yours, one brick. His bricks are all multicolored. And he's walking around. He's like, I want that brick right there. And the gate is not geographical. It's the gate that's wrapped around that person. And he looks at them and whispers, nobody loves me. I do. And he speaks life into them, and the gate of alienation falls off of them. And they go, I've never been free. And it's like, oh, I'm just getting started with you. I didn't just die so you could be free. Come with me. Then he picks you up, and he brings you back, and he says, I'm going to set you in my building right here, this rock. See, when you see a great building, you'll go, oh, that's a nice that's a nice brick, or that's a nice brick. You go, that's a nice house. He's building a house. And so he found Donnell way out there. I was 18, 19 years old, out there lost, man, just, just dead, but thinking I'm alive. And he came and snatched me and said, I'm taking you out. And he broke the gates that held me. He broke the, grit, the, the gates of all, all the gates that are over my life. In my line, mental health issue has run. Pornography has run. No man staying married to a woman. All that was in my my human DNA. And he says, I'm going to infuse my spiritual DNA into this rock. I'm going to make you alive. And then he pulled me up and he pulled me and he said, I'm going to set you in this house of mine in the corner called Grace Covenant. And he put me right next to Pastor Rich and he put me right next to Chris and he put me right next to Marianne. And then he started putting you in the house. We were 14. And he keeps adding stone after stone after stone. The lost stones are his building material. The lost stones are his building material. He goes, run. I'd run around this place, but I'd get out the camera where I don't care. I'm not going to cry. And go over here like, here's a dead stone. He breathes life into it. Then he picks this stone up, and he says, I'm going to build you into my house. And he puts a stone right there. Then he runs over here, and he grabs another stone. And he says, I'm going to put this stone in my house too. And so he says, my house is going to be built. And I lock them together. And then he says, I need other stones. Let me see. I need a stone right back here. Come with me, stone. I breathe life into this stone, and I'm going to take this stone, and I'm going to pull you out from wherever you were. You were dead. You were lost. You were stolen. And the devil is weeping. He's like, Jesus is stealing all my rocks. And Jesus said, they were my rocks from the beginning. I'm taking them all back. I'm taking them all back. Then he says, I need another stone. He peels the stone up. You go over there, and that stone. He says, I need a stone with a ponytail. So I'm going to grab this stone. I'm going to put that stone up there. Then he starts getting all these stones. It's like, I need another stone. I need another stone. Need a stone. Come on up here. That's the stone right there. Yes. Air Force pilot. Stand up. Come on. Uh, yes. Come on. My German friend. Come on up. And his wife. Latino. Come on up. Get in here. John, come on up here. You're part of the stone. My Australian friend, come on up here, because he goes for the nations. Harry yeah. Stones, I'm not Jesus. I can't be everywhere at the same time. John? Yes, John. My son. This is my natural offspring. <laughs> my son. <laughs> and he starts, you see, no stone. 
Let go, let go. No stone can survive alone. No stone can stand alone. No stone can succeed alone. Jesus is beneath them as the chief cornerstone. He's that, he's that solid rock our great-grandparents sang about. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is And he went walking on sinking sand. He can walk on sinking sand like he walks on water. And he's like, I want this stone. I want this stone. I want this stone. And the opposition, he can take accusation. He, can, he took it all on the cross to then lock you in. And now you have to realize he's saying, now that you're part of my house, it's not a retirement home. <laughs> Grace Covenant, after 20 years, there is a wide open door. Yes. And this physical property is only a small piece of it. Make sure you don't get lost in the transition. Because he's not just opened up a building to us, he's opening up the city to us. And it's taken 20 years to get to this moment where we become a solid stone. And then he says, I've called you to be with me and go with me. And so now we are going through this wide open door. But we're not just seeing the opportunity. We're seeing the opposition. We get to share in his trials, which is why we experience accusation, why we experience despair, why we all those things hit us. But we're not going through the door like we did three years ago, Mr. Storm. We're going to pray steady so we can stay ready. How do you do this? You've got the picture. Practical. Two things we must understand. This needs to be a paradigm shift in our thinking as believers who live in this nation. Because Paul had a biblical worldview, and that worldview has not changed. So I'll state it this way. Overcoming opposition is part of the opportunity. We must live like the opportunity that God opens will always be accompanied with opposition because you're snatching people through the gates of hell. And hell never gives up without a fight. They're already defeated, but they try to minimize the church in our day by causing us not to go or experiencing such turmoil or, 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 or opposition emotionally, financially, socially, and everywhere, that we would quit and give up. If you've been in this church for any length of time, you've had to deal with fighting off accusation against me as your leader. If you haven't, you're probably not alive. Or we've just never talked. Or against my wife. Or against Pastor Rich. Or against Elder Chris. Why? Because... Leaders are usually the first to be targeted. But if you hear what the enemy does, when he's, he'll take words I say or someone says or something we don't do, and he'll take it and he'll twist it, and it'll be accusation. Have you, it's the same way it works when you receive accusation against yourself or accusation against others or accusation against God. We have to actually go, we are going to pray steady and stay ready. Like, I was expecting accusation to come. There you are. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you. I receive no accusation against myself, against you, against anyone in this family, in your house. We're all beset with weakness, and that's why you gave us grace. 
I'm going to go talk to that person and say, here's how I was offended. Can we talk this out, work it out? But we don't let our offense move to give place to accusation. The enemy loves it when we're offended because he knows they're usually not mature enough to work it out. So they'll never be built to the height of maturity that God desires. Time for us to grow. Time for us to really grow. You need to understand we are targeted by a real enemy. Do you know, it's not just like you're targeted because you're wicked or evil. Righteous, upright, God-fearing people are targeted. Hello, Job. Read Job chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, and Job 2 through 10. Here, I, I, Job was targeted. As Satan answers the Lord, he's in the presence of the Lord. He says, where are, you, where are you coming from? He says, from roaming the earth, going back and forth on it. And then God says in verse 8, why have you set your heart on my servant Job? In other words, the enemy practices roaming and reconnaissance. He studies your mistakes. Jonathan McReynolds, you can YouTube and hear his song, Cycles. He says, the devil learns from your mistakes even if you don't. And then he uses to keep the cycle going on. How many say, I'm going in cycles? He talks about, he, like, he wants to use free throws to extend the game. It's a great song. Yeah. The, it, don't let the cycle that has been in your life, an addiction or accusation or whatever, let the cycle be broken. Yeah. That's real freedom. God didn't make you a Christian just so you have to tolerate stuff that he died for. Yeah. So you have to understand those two things. And, and there, here's the thing. He says, to, he says to Satan, why have you set your heart on my servant Job? If that isn't targeting, if you watch the national championship game, uh, football, Clemson, all that, there was one guy who was ejected from the game for targeting. You can't take your helmet. I'm sorry. You can't, you take, you can't take your helmet and ram somebody like that. The enemy comes ramming us. He tar and when you get targeted, would you target me for a second? Just do it in slow motion. That's the fastest he's ever done anything I've asked. That's accusation right there. See? That was accusation. There you go. Sweet. The enemy, once you get hit, you look at the first person around, you go, you did this to me, you always. And once you go down that trail, and you have to fight to get somebody back. Look, it's me. It's me. We, we fought together. We did this together. God did this. Remember this? Remember? Okay, come snap out of it. Come out of the matrix. Oh, oh. And then you pray together. Father, I thank you that you've given us power over everything and that as we move through this opportunity, we're praying that we will stay fast even against the opposition. You got to fight through it. Sometimes you got to fight for your friends. You just got to show up at their door. I'm fighting with you and for you. I'm here. You better show up at my door if I'm AWOL. Don't let there be a separation because the enemy is constantly playing the tape. So practically, here's what you need to do, some things. Don't you love this wall behind me? Strong. Okay, we're going to take a moment to pray, but here the thing, we're going to get in groups of three because what we're going to do is pray. We're going to tell the person your name, talk about where you are most arrested, and we're going to speak life to you to be free. Some of you are most arrested by anxiety. Some of you are most arrested by worry. You don't have to live your life that way. Yeah. All right, so here's what he, the, the thing. Be continually filled. These are practical things. Be continually filled with the Spirit. Last week we talked about Mary. You have to be intentional about taking a posture of being quiet, 
every day. I know some of you think I'm too busy, like, but that's part of the enemy's tactic is to keep you so busy that you think if you stop, it'll all fall apart. And God's like, baby, I'm the one who's holding it all together. And you don't have, you, 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 you can be still. You can afford to be still. In fact, in being still, you will be filled so you will address the problems in front of you with my power rather than your own strength. But if you don't sit with me, you're going in your own strength, and that will result in defeat. Victory comes after being with me, not before. So I want us this year to be intentional. Like, if you don't pray at all, say, I'm starting five minutes every day. Some of you, all you have to do is just not snooze. You got five minutes right there. If you already do five minutes, and it's not the time, it's the quality of just pouring out your heart. You're like, I don't know what to say. It doesn't matter. Start by listening. Write down the thoughts that come up. Ask him to help you. Okay, so we've got to do that. Be filled with him. Uh, number two, be full of the word. When Jesus, and these two go together, be full of the word of God. I think Christians today need to read the Bible. Take your time reading it. Study it. Get understanding. We have equipped courses, all these things. But you need to read the Bible. And, you know, when I started when I was young in my 20s, we actually would memorize passages of scriptures. And our whole saying was, uh, you'd memorize and then let it drop 18 inches to get in your heart. The reason being is when the word is actually a part of you in real game time, the Holy Spirit will remind you of the word that's in your heart. And you will be emboldened to actually respond, not according to your human desire and appetite or thoughts and emotions, but respond according to the spirit leading you. And you, you can't always do that by yourself. But it's, 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 it's that kind of thing. Take, and here's why, the, the next part. And take every thought captive by the word. So through meditation and memorization of God's word, when thoughts come from the enemy, some word needs to be on deposit that you can do like Jesus did in the garden when he says, you're hungry, turn these stones into bread. Now because he had Deuteronomy, the whole book downloaded, he just said, it is written. You see, he started with the only... You can't beat the devil by saying, no, that's wrong. It's not fair. He responds mostly to the word and the conviction you have about that word in your heart. And he said to him, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And the word that proceeded out of my father's mouth was that I am his son, whom he loves, with whom he's well pleased. So I don't need to turn a stone to bread to prove the question you ask. Am I the son of God? His word said it. I believe it. He always gets you off your mark by you responding improperly to a question. So it always starts in your thoughts. It's spiritual, but it comes in a thought. It's helpful. Say who he is. You need to begin to say you're the rock um, that sets captives free from the gates of fear, accusation. Fear will not overcome you. Accusation. So there has to be a declaration that comes from you. You, 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 you literally have, this is how I fight my battles. You begin to declare over yourself what God has said over you. Yeah. I had prophetic words given to me sitting in a meeting like this. I was 20 years old. Someone said, you're going to be in full-time ministry. I almost fell out the chair. I knew I was going to law school. I thought the guy was wrong. God was right. I was wrong. But there have been times in pastoring where I've had such low moments that I have to remember that prophetic word that was spoken over my life. And I begin to declare it. Sometimes silently, sometimes out loud. I've gone across the street where I used to live under a little tunnel, and I just begin to repeat that prophetic word that I had taped. And that word would cut through my problems like hot butter. But without 
affirming the word that God said, I was powerless to get out of that grip. I don't deserve to be a pastor. I'm no good at it. Shoot. And then people's like, oh, you're okay. You're okay. But the word is what makes you stand up. It's how we fight our battles. Good? Helpful. Ready to fight?